Good morning. Today's reading is from Psalm 148, verses 1 through 14. Psalm 148, verses 1 through 14. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the eyes. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cities, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, king of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise all his faithful for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Pearl, for reading our scripture this morning. As we continue our sermon series, today's message will be a little different and more personal than some of the others. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we offer you thanks and praise today. I pray that there would be less of me and more of you and who I am. Lord, we love you and we seek to serve you with all that we are. And may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. When my nephew was little, he had a unique way of praying. First, he would make sure all our eyes were closed at the table, and then he would close his eyes, sort of, partially, keeping that one-eyed peak on the rest of us. And then he would begin his prayer, thanking God for all that he could see in no particular order. His prayers went like this. Thank you, God. Thank you for spaghetti. Thank you for garlic bread, salad, and dressing. Thank you for, ooh boy, chocolate pie. Thank you for sweet tea and glasses and forks and plates and knives and spoons. Thank you for salt shakers and pepper shakers. And thank you for what's in the red bowl. And I heard my sister say, congealed salad, to which my nephew responded, 
what is that? And then I heard, we don't have time for this. Finish the prayer, son. And though he had no idea what congealed salad was and he had no intention of eating it, he thanked God for that too. And on the prayer went to include the chairs and the table and the floor and all the people seated in the kitchen together. It was beautiful, really. He thanked God for all that he could see through that one-eyed peak. We learned from him the beautiful, comprehensive prayer of gratitude offered to God. We learned from him praise for little things and taking the time to name them before the Lord. We also learned that if we were in a hurry, we needed to ask someone else to say the blessing. (laughs) Psalm 148 sounds a lot like one of my nephew's prayers. Did you hear it? The psalm is comprehensive in its gratitude and praise. It sounds like a list that children might have put together. Thank you, God, for you. Thank you for angels. Thank you for the heavens, the sky, the moon, for creating it all. Thank you for the earth and the creatures in the sea and the creatures on the land. Thank you for weather, rain and snow and wind. Mountains and hills and fruit trees and cedars, wild animals, tame ones, animals that creep and animals that fly, and on and on it goes in no particular order, telling everyone and everything to join him in praise of God. It is like the author of Psalm 148 taught my nephew how to pray. This practice of praising and thanking God is an essential way of life for people of faith. Gratitude is a spiritual discipline. One of those practices that grows and matures us in our faith as followers of Jesus Christ. This practice shapes our hearts and what we treasure as children of God. Authentic gratitude is formative. Yet it's a practice that we often forget. Even though scripture is replete in the Old and New Testaments with examples telling us to live a life of praise and thanksgiving. For example, Colossians 3.17 tells us gratitude is central to the new life of a disciple of Jesus. That in whatever we do or say, we give thanks to God through Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us to give thanks when? Always. In all circumstances. And each time we gather for the sacrament, we first take time to offer our thanks to God. Each time before we break the bread, we stop first to offer thanks to God for it. Psalm 148 is another example of that. It is one of five psalms at the end of the Psalter articulating praise and thanks to God. Each of those five psalms begins and ends with the same phrase, praise the Lord. Psalm 148 says the word praise some 13 different times in that particular text, offering thanks to God for life all around him, calling all of life to join him in that praise.
So why this call today to this transformative spiritual discipline? Because our priorities can get so out of whack. And God uses gratitude in our lives to kind of put things back in place. Gratitude gets us out of our heads and out of ourselves. Gratitude reconnects us to God, to creation, and to each other. Gratitude's like a gut check or a soul check on what matters deeply. Gratitude makes us aware of our dependence on God and transforms our culture's all-too-common practice of criticizing and fault-finding into this holy practice of naming blessings and grace in our midst. It transforms us from the worldly treasures and values of materialism and accumulation to the holy treasures of simplicity and re-examining what matters most. I read a story recently about a child who was opening gifts at Christmas time. And after he'd unwrap one, he'd say, Next? And then the next present would come until all of the gifts were opened and he was surrounded by them. And he said, is that it? While we might want to parent that child differently, all of us at any age tend to take gifts for granted. All of us at any age tend to take the gifts from God for granted. I also read a story recently about Patrick Henry, and he said that when he was writing his will, he figured if he left his children his faith in God and no money, they would be among the wealthiest of people. And conversely, if he left them a lot of money and no faith, they would be among the most destitute. Depends on what we treasure. Our society does not teach gratitude well. It often teaches the opposite, entitlement, misplaced bootstrap theology, materialism, selfish ambition, valuing more, bigger, better, the latest. It's exhausting. The spiritual discipline of gratitude is the counterpoint to all of that, fostering humility, simplicity, contentment, authenticity, Sabbath, peace, interdependence, and community-immersed theology, recognizing what God values in the least and the last and the lost. That means God beside us, before us, within us, cutting away the myth of stuff to reinforce loving God and loving others in real faith, relationships, and unstinting service. And I know talking about gratitude might sound naive or old-fashioned, but let me assure you that true gratitude in this life, especially when it comes in a difficult way, is anything but naive. I learned that in personal experience. My husband, Scott, and I, like all couples, have had seasons of struggling to live as thankful people. He was surprisingly diagnosed with cancer soon after our wedding, 
And we had to process a variety of difficulties in the weight of all that. We lived apart during that time too while I was serving a church that was far from where he lived. So we weren't actually together. It was one disappointment after another like hopes and dreams that we'd been building all that time were something we had to completely readjust and rewrite. I told my husband in that season that we needed to pull up out of that downward spiral we were in or heartbreak and fear were going to take us down with it. We could not change the circumstances, but we could change who we were in them. And I felt led by God in that season to begin the spiritual discipline of gratitude. That practice that calls us to name all that for which we are thankful in the midst of all that for which we are not. I thought it sounded like a great idea. But you should have seen the look he gave me when I suggested it. (laughs) We knew it would be hard. And we knew it would be worth it and matter. Because human emotions don't play nice with theology sometimes or help it make much sense. And in the face of shock and anger and fear and grief, the practice of gratitude became for us a difficult act of faith as much as a holy act of defiance, really. Cancer might take a lot from us, and it did, but it was not going to take our faith and our souls. There was still something we could control. And we had a battle before us, and we began this practice of noticing God with us in it. Gratitude meant taking a stand against all that we faced and did not want to. And giving thanks was a way to not let ourselves be defined by disease or disappointment or devastation and became instead an act of faith in the God who carried us. And granted, in that season, we had to start small. Like one of my nephew's prayers Thanking God for simple things like a fork (laughs) or a plate, a glass of sweet tea, a good nap, a beautiful sunrise, a card that came at just the right time, anything to shift the swing of that pendulum and notice God meeting us where we were at the time and naming it. That's our story. But all of us have our stories and struggles. Each of us and our church does too. It is so easy to let the things that weigh us down get in the way of how God may use gratitude to speak truth to us. Not only about the materialistic stuff, but about disappointments and diagnoses and debts and downright dogged days. We can get so wrapped up in what is wrong that we forget to notice what is right and good and of God and right in front of us. There are times in life when it is difficult to find something, 
anything for which we are thankful. I get that. I know that. But what if that is the best time to start? When thanksgiving is the hardest, it's likely when it matters the most. It shifts where we put our energy and what we are letting define us. Deep, true gratitude and praise that comes out of pressed and tried faith knows the source from which it comes, and that only comes from the strength of God. It's faith that sees and recognizes pain but refuses to be defined by it or let it get the loud and last word. True gratitude takes guts and grit and tears and trust and it becomes this unmistakable affirmation that God is with us and we depend on that God who is greater and stronger than we are. In that difficult season for me and my husband, Scott, I am thankful for how we saw God with us in the worst. I'm thankful for the ways the church I served at the time wrapped around us in love. They brought food. They cut my grass They offered to drive me to his house when I was too exhausted to drive. The youth showed up with a sunshine box that was full of yellow things. And I can't tell you how many people stopped by to check on my husband when he was recovering and just showed up in love. We will never forget how God was present in them and we praised God for it. Gratitude did not change our circumstances, but it changed who we were in it. When the author, Anne Voskamp, mother of six, was going through tragic loss and difficulties in her life, under which she writes that she felt she was drowning, she began the same spiritual discipline of gratitude. She writes that she was having a hard time seeing God anywhere. So she started looking for God everywhere and writing it down. And like my nephew, she started small. And like the psalmist in 148, gratitude came in no specific order. She named how she saw God right in front of her. Number one, she put sunlight moving across the floor. Number two, jam piled high on my kid's toast. That makes them smile. Number three, the cry of a blue jay high up in the tree. And what began for her as these little lists on random pieces of paper turned into a gratitude journal, which was published in a book called One Thousand Gifts in which she chronicles these tiny gifts of God gently given amidst all that was dirty and dark and difficult and gritty at the time. She said she found that giving thanks to God gave her life and it became the only way that she could breathe. 
Maybe you know what that's like. In that period in my life, I learned a lot. I was content with little things. Fall leaves turning. Seeing deer in the yard. Somebody dropping off homemade rolls. Or sitting beside my husband in the warmth of the sun on the porch. If I could get that in the day, I was good. I was content. And that was all I needed. God was with us in the midst of it. And we thank God for it. And now in the crazy rust of everything and the stress and the difficulties of life, these days I'm starting to forget what I learned back then and I need to hear one of my nephew's prayers once more and again because my priorities are getting out of whack. And I can get so easily caught up in what doesn't really matter and lose sleep over it. And all that stuff that tries to take us down, that it's time I made a point to practice gratitude again as a spiritual discipline. And I'm going to start today. And I hope that you'll start with me. I would love for us as a church to do this together. Like Psalm 148 says, we all do it together, younger and older and in between, everyone and anyone, to make a commitment to the spiritual discipline of gratitude, naming, like my nephew and the psalmist, that for which we are thankful. Because thanking God is an act of faith and a holy act of defiance. In a world that easily forgets what matters and tries to define us some other way. So let God use gratitude to rewrite our hearts. We ask some church members to share with us what they are thankful for We asked Jim and Sarah Chapel what they're thankful for, even right here at church. And we want you to hear what they had to say. Check it out. We moved to Stafford in 2003. And for many years, we'd been attending military chapels. So it was our intention when we moved here that we would visit um, a few churches in the area to find our new home church. Um, In those first couple days, a brand new neighbor came over and said we should try her church, which was called Ebenezer. And very quickly we visited. And at that very first visit, Ebenezer had us at hello. And we never visited another church. And eventually we became members. There were a lot of reasons why we stayed. Two of the biggest reasons were how active the church was and everything I had to offer our young family. At the time, our daughter was eight and our son was four. They started attending Sunday school and they were involved in children's ministries. They've got fond memories of swim parties at Miss B's and Pastor Mark's dad jokes at VBS. As they grew older, they moved on to youth ministries and they went to TNT and they went to conferences at Ocean City. And then when they went on to high school, they moved on to Axis and they went on the retreats and the mission trips. Every step of the way, as our kids got older, there were programs in place that helped them grow in their relationship with God. 
We're so grateful for all the volunteers who invested their time and talents into our kids. Um, from Sunday school teachers to youth group leaders to mission trip mentors, um, they've all had a lasting impact on our kids' spiritual lives. Um, we are so grateful. There's been so many volunteers and we're so grateful to all of them. Um, we're thankful for Sherry and Michelle who have built wonderful ministries and programs here at Ebenezer. Um, when we talk to young families about uh, Ebenezer, we'd like to talk about what it meant to our young family to come to Ebenezer. And we encourage them to get their children involved and to, to volunteer. We're so proud to be members here at Ebenezer, and we are so thankful to Ebenezer and all the people at Ebenezer for everything they've done for us and our family. Thank you, Jim and Sarah, for sharing your story. And thank you, too, to all those volunteers and teachers and access leaders and Kids Rock leaders and TNT leaders and all those persons who pour into the kids who are here in our community. Let's make gratitude a practice. Let's start right now. I'm going to say thank you, God, for, and I want you to fill in the blank. Maybe you've thought about something while we're sitting here. I'm just going to say it out loud. And when I get to thank you, God, for, you just name it. Are you ready? <laughs> thank you, God, for my husband. Let's do that. Let's keep doing that and thanking God again and again. Wherever you eat, put a piece of paper there on the table. And start to write as a family, or maybe you're uh, not married, put, write down all that for which you're thankful. If you have kids, they can get in on it too. They can draw pictures. They can tell you what to write. They can write it down that all of you can name those things for which we are thankful in our lives. You can start a new trend on Facebook or Instagram and start a gratitude trend there too. Let us name again and again all that for which we are thankful. Start with what's in front of you. Those salt and pepper shakers and forks before we work up to something big like spaghetti or wiggly children <laughs> and turning of the leaves and the people that make up this loving church. Let us name the many ways we see God in our midst. My hope is that our list will grow as long as one of my nephew's prayers and grow as long as Psalm 148, as God shifts the focus of our hearts from all that congealed salad to the, ooh boy, chocolate pie, from what is not good to what is, from suffering or divisions that need not define us to God's blessings and peace and grace that abound. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen.